You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful F1 fans out there. Welcome to the very first winter season of the history of F1. In these series, I'm going to be giving you a nice, easy breakdown of each of the 10 constructors' teams in Formula One, as well as keeping you updated on any hot topics that you need to know about. My name is Kelsey, and you're listening to F101. Well, before we get into the history of the F1 teams, let us start off with the hot topics that you do need to know about. And there's been quite a few developments that you do need to know about. So let's start. Last episode, we had mentioned that uh, Mattia Bonato was or has resigned as the team principal for Ferrari. And I'm going to say resigned in very big air quotations because I do think that he was given the ultimatum of either you're fired or you resign from the upper heads of Ferrari. Well, it didn't take long for them to find the replacement. About a week later, the team principal of Alfa Romeo Salba was announced that he was coming over to Ferrari. And we're talking about Fred Vassar. He used to be, uh, or he was the CEO of Salba Motorsports. I mean, congratulations to him. If you're going to Ferrari, this is definitely a step up from Salba and Alfa Romeo up to Ferrari. Congratulations. We all know that Alfa Romeo was just essentially a massive sticker on the car, didn't really help anything, and that you had pretty much done everything you could at Salba and you were just kind of stagnating there. The only thing that I'm worried about is that Fred Vassar is not exactly known to be a very, you know, follow directions kind of guy unless they're his ideas. Uh, There are reports that he can sometimes be difficult to work with, but he does get results at the end of the day. And he's going into an environment where the team principal of Ferrari does not run Ferrari, that the upper echelons of the Ferrari name and corporation they run the racing team. Everybody knows this. Everybody has a good idea of what's to be expected. You say yes, you follow rules, and you move on. Fred Vaster is not exactly that type of person to do that necessarily. Now, I hope that Ferrari can learn from Vaster and that Vaster can learn from Ferrari. Everybody would be, uh, everyone would very much benefit from this partnership if they can actually get along. What Vassar does bring to Ferrari, which they absolutely, in my opinion, 100% need, is accountability. If you screw up, he's going to call you out on it. If you make a mistake, he's going to call you out on it. If he makes a mistake, he's going to hold himself accountable and he's not going to say, oh, well, you know, it was a team effort. We made a couple of bad decisions. If he makes a bad decision on race day and he causes Ferrari to lose, someone to crash, bad tire selection, whatever the case may be, He is that type of team principal where he's going to say, hey, I fucked up. This is not on the team. This is on me. He brings that level of accountability that Ferrari desperately, and I mean desperately, needs. Mattia was fine. He did well. He played well with others. He didn't ruffle any feathers. He didn't move the water at all. He didn't create any ripples, which is great to some extent, but I think in Ferrari, it was absolutely detrimental to them this season. If they had more direction like Vassar will bring I do think they would have had a more of a competitive edge against Red Bull and they ultimately would have beat Red Bull this season in my opinion Um, I do expect Ferrari to come back much more organized next season for the 2023 season with Vassar in the lead now with Vassar leaving Salba 
this kind of created a we'll call it small vacuum effect uh well what's alfa romeo going to do what's salba going to do well it took them less than 12 hours and mclaren's ex-team principal of andreas seidel was now the new chief executive officer of salva now when i say ex mclaren team principal that's because he just left uh he did uh have talks with mclaren they did that he did have talks with salva salva bought out his contract with mclaren brought him over to salva which is great for them salva is really looking up um andreas seidel is credited for bringing lando norris to mclaren which is great for the team Really good driver, competitive, brought the points, absolutely demolished Daniel Ricardo this season. I'm sorry to say that. Daniel, I love you, but it's true. Now, this one totally screws McLaren. And two, this is the long-term building plan for Salba that they needed the head start on that they they wanted. Everybody loves Andreas Seidel. He's got the vision. He's got the youth behind him. He's got the understanding of not just what the drivers need but what the team needs where they need to go technologically uh, he can innovate like there's no tomorrow which is why salva brought them in i believe they are building a fantastic amazing team that when audi takes over in 2026 they're not going to be on the back foot when that season starts i'm betting and i will dollars to donuts anybody that comments otherwise i will bet you whatever you want that when lando norris's contract is up and i believe it's till 2024 that lando norris will leave mclaren and he's going to go to salba and when he does that valtteri bottas will either go to mclaren or valtteri's not going to have a job period anymore these guys are the dynamic duo they work very very well together and this would just be another amazing building block for Audi when they come in for 2026. Audi is making sure that they are not the expansion team. And I'm calling them an expansion team because they've never been in control of a full team ever in, in their history. This is their first crack kick at the can, as it were. That's why I'm calling them a rookie team. I'm saying that they're making sure that they are not the rookie team that can't win anything for three to five years because they're brand new and they're still learning. They want to make sure that when they come to play, that they've got all their ducks in a row. They've got a ton of veterans that are young enough to stay with the team for years and that they're going to get results and going to get points. This is an amazing opportunity for Salba and Audi. Absolutely amazing. They've done the right thing. They paid the money, paid out his contract, and it's nothing but roses. Nothing but roses for Salba and Audi for 2026. Now, the only thing with that is, is this absolutely 100%, in my opinion, absolutely fucks McLaren. And I don't mean a little bit. I mean a lot. Because when your star team principal leaves, you got to find somebody to replace him sooner rather than later. And so now McLaren, in my opinion, was set scrambling. In their credit, or to their credit, their response was less than a day later. They had promoted their executive director of racing, Andreas Stella, to now be the new team principal for 2023. Now, I am not saying that this is a bad idea. I am not saying that he will not do a good job. But in, in my opinion, I do believe that McLaren only gave this promotion to look like they knew what they were doing. That, oh, we had you lined up from the beginning in case Seidel left, or you're in succession anyways when Seidel's contract was up, you are going to take control of McLaren, 
congratulations, you are now the new team principal. Okay, well, that's great. But, I mean, I think, I don't think it's going to be a very easy transition for him. Yes, he's been with the team, I mean, forever. I mean, literally, almost ever. He's got the experience in Formula One. He was the Ferrari, I mean, he was with Ferrari for 15 years, taking role of performance engineer for Michael Schumacher, Kimi Raikkonen, and then race engineer for Raikkonen and Fernando Alonso. So he's got the pedigree in Ferrari. Now, these were not award-winning years for Ferrari, but if he can handle that kind of work environment, I mean, he, he's going to flourish in McLaren. I just don't think it's going to be a very simple or smooth transition, um, especially because if the rumors are true, you're going to lose your number one driver in a couple of years. So, hey, your team principal now, Stella, congratulations. What are you going to do to retain your number one driver? Or are you going to start looking now so when he goes that you've got a replacement coming up. Um, I, does he have that much foresight? I don't know. He's really good friends with Zach Brown, the CEO, which is fantastic, which is great. But Zach does more administ He has more understanding of the administration than he does driving smart. Uh, Stella's got more of the driving aspect, which means there'll be a nice even duo. I just don't know how much Stella's going to be able to stand up to Zach when he decides to start making decisions that aren't exactly in the best interest of the team. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, it was been a very, very busy couple of days when all of this happened. Social media, Twitter, the F1 world just started blowing up on what was going on. And by the time you got to the, the Stella announcement, it was kind of like, oh guys, okay, are we done? Is this now like team principal silly season? Like what's, what's going on here, guys? That's the one thing I love about this sport is that the off season is never just the off season. You've got driver signings, you've got teams announcing when their cars are going to be re released. Aston Martin had announced yesterday that February 13th is when they are showing off the new car, the new specs, the new look. Uh, of course, they've got a new paint delivery, all that kind of fun stuff. And then subsequently, 12 hours later, Ferrari comes in going, well, Valentine's Day is for lovers and you guys are going to love this car. So they're showing their car on February 14th. There's always, always something going on. But that is your wrap up for the hot topics for this week. And let's now get into the history of Formula One constructor team. So let's just get right into it, folks. The whole purpose of this F1 team history aspect is uh, to give you guys a little bit of inside history of the constructors that you're watching, the teams that you will be coming more familiar with as you watch more seasons of Formula One. Uh, if no matter if you're a veteran F1, you know, fan, or if you're brand new to the sport, this is definitely going to help you guys a little bit of tips some tricks. Uh, we're going to be introducing who their team principals are, who their drivers are, a little bit of team history. We're also going to give you guys the breakdown of the numbers and where I personally see where these teams are going to be going into the future, whether I think they're going to continue to win championships and be at the front of the grid, or if I see them, you know, struggling a little bit in the future and where the development for each team, I think is going to go. So without further ado, let's get into the first team that we're going to cover. And we're covering the one, the only, you know, them as the silver arrows. We're talking about Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team. And the history of Mercedes is long. It's very prestigious. It is filled with tons of controversy. It's filled with tons of victory, innovation. Uh, they're the second oldest team on the F1 grid, only behind Ferrari. Obviously, if you know anything about motorsport 
in general, you know that Ferrari's generally been around since the beginning of, well, let's say everything. But Mercedes itself, bit of an interesting history. They weren't always a constructor, uh, but we're going to get into that now. We're talking the first race before F1. These guys were already racing in Europe. We're talking about the first Grand Prix motor race that they did was in 1930. Uh, it was the European Cup that they had competed in. And as a brand new team, and they were considered a constructor back in the day in 1930s, it only took them four years to win their first European Championship. Uh, they are cha European champions from 1934 to 1937, and this is nowhere near the type of technology that we've got now. They were still what they considered open-wheeled cars, so there's no rims, there's hubcaps just to hold the wheels on, but they're essentially going as fast as they possibly can in the 30s in a metal tube with these massive we're talking like 26 27 inch wheels like they're huge like there's something that you would see on some of the bigger cars now uh no disc brakes none of the modern technology that we enjoy and that includes safety as well they had a little plastic or glass windshield in front of them and they had leather helmets in the 30s we're not even talking hard leather or anything that would provide any kind of substantial safety limits period they were just wearing leather caps they got goggles on and a steering wheel that is i mean if you're if your grandparents ever had an old truck or an old vehicle you see the steering wheels that it's plain jane it's a circle with three or four little arms that attach to the center console and that's it that's all they had back in the day and it was hand gear shifts so you're shifting by hand so at some point you're going around a corner with one hand on the wheel and mercedes was still able to pull out from 34 to 37 European championships like these this were was definitely a, a thing to come in the future and anybody paying attention to motorsport you look at the history you could say well why not look at how they started it only makes sense that they're going to continue to be great at what they do they're going to continue to innovate and push the field and that's exactly what Mercedes did when their very 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 first actual F1 registered race was in 1954 and it was the French Grand Prix. This was absolutely, you know, record breaking the first time Mercedes Benz debuted 1954. Full constructor, they built their car from top to bottom. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, great success in 54 and 55. Um, but unfortunately for them, and some people have their speculations on why Mer Mercedes did this, maybe it wasn't enough money. Maybe it, the interest just wasn't there. After 1955, Mercedes left the sport as an actual constructor. But the interesting part is, and very intelligently, I think, someone was really looking to the future. Mercedes stayed as an engine, supply, engine supplier from the 1990s to the 2000s for multiple teams that don't, some of them exist anymore. Some of them are still around, but they stayed in the game. More importantly, yeah, like, they were able to learn and evolve with Formula One, where somebody coming in later on in the game, they're essentially starting from scratch, and they need to not only integrate the new regulations for the time into their engines and through their power units and whatever else they're making for the car, but as well as they just have to, you know, they kind of have to learn what F1 is and how expensive it can be and how ever-changing it can be and for the fact that you can come up with something that the FIA says is totally legal one week and then three weeks later enough teams complain and you can't do this anymore mercedes and the people that were in charge of mercedes back in the day in the 50s realized that this is there's definite potential in the future and they essentially 
they were Formula One. They are Formula One to this day when it comes to innovation because they've been in there so long. They know, they know the tips and tricks. They know the best way to get the performance out of their engine. Maybe not this year with the W13, but still, they know how to push the car to the limit in the most effective way possible. And I'm giving the credit, at least for the modern day Mercedes from 2009 on, I'm giving credit to their team principal and CEO Total Wolf. Now, in this age of Formula One, not a lot of teams have their team principal and their CEO being the same person. But if you and if you enjoy reading up on biographies and you want to do the deep dive, I do highly recommend finding the autobiography that is on uh, online and some history about Total Wolf. You will realize that he is a self-made businessman. He enjoys this. He enjoys the organized chaos. He is that guy that you want to be both your team principal and your CEO because he has such a business mind. He he knows where every department needs to go. He just it's kind of like he can see the future. That's how organized this man is and that's how well and that's the reason why Mercedes has been able to be so successful over the years as it has been. I'm resting it solely on Total Wolf whether it's signing Lewis Hamilton back in the day and getting Valtteri Bottas or it's helping the guys in the garage innovate it's keeping everybody on track it's giving them discipline when they need it and giving them praise when they need it more it's keeping everybody as a team and it's it's all because of Total Wolf in my opinion um the one downside to having Total Wolf as your team principal and your CEO is when he does decide to retire or decide to walk away from Formula One in any capacity, whether he's not team principal or whether he's not CEO anymore, Mercedes, in my opinion, is going to have a massive hole that I don't think they're ever going to be able to fill again when he leaves. He is leaving shoes that are unfillable, that you can't replace total wolf you have to substitute for somebody less no matter how smart they are what kind of business person they are how much they understand formula one x driver or not it doesn't matter when he leaves mercedes is going to have a massive struggle on how to replace him but i mean when you're good you're good when you've got a leader like that you don't let him go forever period and mercedes has been lucky enough in their in their past and into the future for however long that total wolf will be there that he's going to keep this ship on the right course. Uh, he's going to take the criticism respectively when he needs it. And he's going to, to dish out criticism when it's rightly deserved to the appropriate people. So massive leadership in Mercedes um, hats off to him. I had mentioned the drivers current drivers. Lewis Hamilton has been with Mercedes for at least eight, nine years coming on a decade, which in this day and age of formula one and just formula one in general doesn't really happen unless you are that good and your team has that much faith in you it also helps when you're the seven-time champion that you win almost everything that you race in that you enter in again minus this year but it's it's the learning curve for the w13 with the new car the new chassis the new regulations budget cap all that kind of stuff lewis hamilton was able to keep his his mind there he was able to help out the team he took the criticism when he needed it and just like total wolf he dealt out the criticism when it was appropriate second driver george russell uh this will be his second year with mercedes he is going to be one of the other drivers to definitely keep an eye on he is going to be a future if they had one he'd be the future hall of famer in formula one which 
again, Mercedes, it just goes to show you how smart the team management is and the history of the great academy that they have and the learning process that they've got George Russell. And he's a perfect product of that. He didn't jump into the limelight right away. He had to earn it. He had to learn it. And then he's also not just learn it off the track, but learn it on the track. Brand new car, great car, great speed. He adapts perfectly. And third and third and final, they got a brand new third driver, which he's going to learn what Mercedes is all about. Uh, Mick Schumacher, third driver for the 2023 season and beyond. He's going to, he's going to flourish in the Mercedes. I keep calling it Academy because he's going to learn so much, not just from Lewis, not just from Russell, but from total Wolf and the team. And he's going to experience proper development and he will replace Lewis Hamilton whenever Hamilton decides to retire. And it's going to be another star in the Mercedes hat. It's going to be another stand. Very proud moment. When you see the kind of driver that Mick Schumacher will become from everything that he learned, he's going to be adding to the statistics that, is the history of Mercedes that a lot of teams nowadays and even a little bit further back really, really can't argue with. And they're not going to come close to statistics like they've got 271 race entries. They've got eight constructors championships. We're talking from 2014 to 2020. We're also talking about 1954 to 1955. They won the constructors as well. Nine drivers championships. So that is also... 54 to 55, 2014 to 2020. Like these guys have the consistency like no other F1 team, maybe Ferrari, and that's just because they've been around a little bit longer. But in modern day F1 racing, nobody has the consistency that Mercedes does. Out of the 271 race entries, they got 125 victories, 281 podiums, polls. They've got 136 poles, fastest laps. They've got 100, and that's just to the end of the season, So of this season. So easily, these numbers are going to be growing substantially over the next couple of seasons. And this is the one that I enjoy the most, uh, the point count. Now, this is including, we're going to include the 1930 points in this, as well as the 54 and the modern day points. Uh, we're talking about 6,952 points. This season, they will crack. I have absolutely no doubt unless something actually like hugely catastrophic happens. Mercedes will crack and demolish the 7,000-point mark for their team. Almost no other team in Formula 1 will be able to boast about that in the 2023 season. And it's it's rightly deserved. Like They've got a ton of achievements. They've got a ton of compliments. I, just, I keep coming back to it. It's the consistency of the team. It's a consistency in the learning curve and the innovation. And Ferrari can take a note from they hold each other accountable in a proper way. It's not just, oh, the team the team didn't gel properly this week. It's you screwed up, this person messed up, and they, they know about it, and they're going to learn from it, whether it's the drivers or it's the mechanics or it's the strategists, or it's even Total Wolf himself. Everybody takes the criticism and the punishment that they deserve, and they also take the credit when credit's due. And it it shows in the in the point tally and the consistency and that Mercedes is going to be around here forever. Uh, they've also had drivers like Jensen Button. They've also had uh, Ross Braun as teammates. Like These are some of the guys that you hear that everybody listens to and trusts when it comes to F1 analysis on F1 TV 
including TSN as well, that these are the voices that you're listening to weekend in, weekend out. They do the driver interviews so they know, you know, they know the ins and outs, they know the proper questions to ask. These guys have a massive pedigree. Uh, Michael Schumacher drove for Ferrari, or drove for Mercedes for a short stint. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg also had a few stints here and there. And who could forget Nico Rosberg? He was Lewis Hamilton's teammate for, I believe it was just one or two seasons. Uh, that was a team rivalry that granted the history of Mercedes and Mercedes fans would rather forget, but it also made it very, very entertaining and it helped Mercedes grow into a mature Formula One constructors team. It's not all roses and picnics and parades when it comes to Formula One. Uh, good growing pains, bad growing pains. Mercedes has seen it all. Controversy. Mercedes is one of the worst or best, depending on how you want to look at it. They have absolutely no problem calling out other teams if they do believe that they're, they've done something wrong, whether it's the drivers or the development of a car. They have absolutely no problem protesting, in my opinion, sometimes a little bit too much. Uh, some people may remember the 2021 season where essentially it was a we'll call it a quote-unquote a, a pissing contest between Total Wolf and Christian Horner, so Red Bull and Mercedes where they were just nitpicking at each other's cars trying to get the greatest advantage over their opponents, which it makes for entertaining watching sometimes, but it also can distract F1 teams and their team principals, and I think Mercedes got a little bit too hung up in 2021 over nitpicky things. Um, that is one of their one of their downfalls um, of the team itself, but Mercedes is definitely not afraid to make sure that the playing field is level. Uh, they're also not afraid to back down from any challenges from any other team who points out things that they believe are illegal on the cars as well, and they take everything in stride. Uh, sometimes they do push the envelope a little bit with um, some accusations here and there of, you know, a mole in F1 that helped out Mercedes. You know, they're getting special information, all that kind of fun stuff. But, hey, when you're this big, when you're the top dog for seven eight years in a row you you kind of you kind of get that little bit of a leeway that you can do whatever you want and mercedes is not afraid to take control of that they're a very strong team they're a very personalized build team they're not they're not afraid of anybody and uh they're definitely not afraid of a challenge so after mercedes had left in 1955 they had come back for the first time as a full constructor in what we're going to call the modern era so we're going to call that 2009 uh that's back then where they didn't really have or have any budget caps. You, If you had the money, you developed the car, and you raced as well as you could. And this is really where Mercedes innovation came into play, and you could tell right off the bat that these guys were ready to go when they came in in 2009. And they hit 2009 with a bang. They set a Formula One record that, to this date, has not been broken and will not be broken the until potentially 2026. Now, the record is when Mercedes came back in 2009, they were full constructors. Now, everything was built in the UK like it is now. They won their maiden year. They won the constructors and they won the drivers. And this had never been done in Formula One history before. So, you know how I had said back that someone was thinking ahead when they stayed in the engine development for Formula One? Well, this is where it paid off. 2009, they come back. Nico Rosberg... Sorry, excuse me. Jensen Button was the driver, and then Ross Braun was the team principal at the time. They they came out of the gates essentially as a rookie team and won absolutely everything. Now, 
in any sport, when you're a rookie team or you're an expansion team, which essentially Mercedes was back in 2009, say I've been away for so long, you're not expected to win anything. Like, and I mean anything. You're expected to win, you know, two or three races max. You're supposed to be middle of the grid. Hey, it's good learning curve. You get a little bit extra money because you beat the lower teams. You know, congratulations, pat on the back. Good luck next year. You'll just keep getting better. Keep trying. Mercedes didn't do that. They hit the ground absolutely running. And I mean absolutely running. They won everything their inaugural year. From 2010 to 2011, they got fourth in the constructors. Like they're just, they're sitting there. 2012, they got fifth. 2013, they got second. So you can still see a little bit of struggling for a brand new team, but they're not, they're not at the bottom of the pack like you would expect them to be. They're still cruising along. They're still driving. They're still dominating. Now, this is going to be the era now with Lewis Hamilton, a little bit of Michael Schumacher mixed in there, Nico Rosberg. Like these are the names that everybody of my generation, a little bit older and a little bit newer, recognized definitely for the contributions to Formula One. And then we get in from 2014, 15, 16, 17, all the way to 21. They won every single constructors from 2014 to 2021. Mercedes had arrived. They had gone through their, and not even an alert, painful learning curve. They just went through their learning curve and they destroyed the competition. Not a little bit, not just, oh, they won by one or two points. We're talking like we've won by anywhere. The closest was 50 to 60 points. Now we're talking like 100 points, 120 points, 150 points. The other teams had absolutely no answer for Mercedes up until 2021. Now, you're, I just said, I mean, they won the Constructors in 2021. They didn't win the Drivers' Championship in 2021. That's when Max Verstappen got his first. So it took, I mean, and Red Bull's got a distinguished pass as it is, but it still took everybody, you know, six or seven, took them seven years to dethrone Mercedes. Everything they touched was gold. They were the Midas of every motor, motor corporation there ever was anybody that was anybody in mechanical racing whether it was motorcycles f1 trucks cars nascar you name it they wanted to be mercedes patronus f1 team because they won everything by a long shot by a landslide and that is their legacy for the modern day formula one fan and for the formula one team history that's i mean they had a little bit of a blip, uh, blip in 2022 they got third still not bad you go from first to third in the constructors uh both your drivers were nowhere close to winning the driver's championship but hey you can't win everything but mercedes doesn't relax on the laurels they are going to take 2022 and they're going to learn from what they did wrong they're going to learn from what they did right they're going to you know absolutely burn the dumpster fire that was the w13 car totally forget about all the bad things that happened, but learn from it at the same time. The 2023 car they've got in development now, the W14, some uh, pictures and some information have been shown to the media, and this car is going to be an absolute rocket. It's going to be the silver arrow of you know, the f- 2015 to, to 19. It's going to be a force to reckon with. They've got a slimmer car. They're not going with any side pods again this year. They've got... All of the porpoising issues fixed what they've said. Like this is 
This is the backbone of Mercedes is the innovation within that budget cap that's even smaller. They've got the big brains to think outside the box on how to fix the cars and how to get these issues corrected. And that's going to be the legacy of Mercedes for many, 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 many years to come, which makes this sport amazing, which is what makes Mercedes an amazing F1 team. And again, this is coming from a Red Bull fan. I like the way they race. I like their drivers. I like their cars, all this kind of stuff. But when you're great, you're great. You cannot deny it, whether you like them or not, that they've got the history behind them. They've got the victories behind them. They also have the innovation behind them as well to make them a powerhouse and a juggernaut from years to come. A little bit of a fun fact. I've had people ask me before that when they're watching Formula One, and when they're talking about it, that it's not just called the Mercedes car. It's not just the silver arrow. You always hear a letter and a number associated with the car. Last year was a W13. And then this coming up season will be a W14. And I've had people ask, what does this mean? So, and it's actually quite simple. And I'm sure you can guess at least one of the two things. So we're going to start with the letter 14. This is the number this year coming up. 2023 season will be the W14. Now the 14 stands for, this is the 14th edition of a car that Mercedes has made. But you're going, well, wait a minute. They were back in 2009. That would make it the W15, wouldn't it? The way the Mercedes started is that their very first car was car 01 or, or zero. It was the W0 for 2009. It was the first car they ever come out. This was like the, the, the very... I don't want to call it because it should be one because if it's the first time you make it, it should be one. But Mercedes counted it as the W. Okay, then 2010 was the W1. Then just do the math, two, three, four, all the way up to 2022, you got the W13. Easy enough to track now. So it'll be 14 next year, then 15, 16, 17, 18. Okay, so that's what the number stands for. The W is actually quite simple. Once I looked it up, I kind of smacked myself on the forehead and went, well, duh, that makes sense. Mercedes is a German company. It's a German factory. It's a German everything. German from top to bottom, except for their Formula One car is made in the UK. So the W, if you speak any kind of German at all, and even if you don't, it makes sense as soon as you hear it. Uh, the W stands for wagon. It's a wagon. It's a car. I'm like, well, duh. The loose translation to, to, to English, I was going to say Canadian, the, the loose translation to English is wagon. So the W14 is the wagon 14 or the car 14. When you think about it, you're like, well, duh, well, that makes sense. So anytime you're now watching Formula One on TV or TSN, you're watching a video or you're even watching documentaries. When you hear the term W13, 14 or anything like that, you will now understand that it is the wagon 14. So it's really, really easy to understand now. And every car, every constructor has their own different version of this. Like when you see the the RB18, okay, so what team has RB? Like you can work it through. It's the Red Bull 18, and we'll be getting into that a little bit episode, a little more episodes down the road. But that concludes our look and our slight deep dive, and hopefully very entertaining for you look at the Mercedes-AMG Patronus F1 team. Now, join us for next episode where we look into the history and very interesting partnership with Salba F1 team.